It's good to see you this evening, and I'm glad that we can be together again. And I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews tonight, chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to uh, look at Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7 and going through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through verse 19. Now, you may remember that occasionally the book of Hebrews will have a break in the argument for the purpose of issuing or inserting an exhortation. There are five exhortations in the book of Hebrews. The first one is found in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, and the second one begins in chapter 3, verse 7, and extends through a portion of chapter 4. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, the first exhortation is designed to address the danger of drifting away from Christ and from the gospel through neglect. Remember, the question is asked in Hebrews 2 and uh, verse 1 and following, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That, of course, is built upon everything given from the beginning of chapter 1 up to that point. And the emphasis is knowing what we do about Christ and about the gospel and about his law, knowing what God has done through Christ, how can we escape the wrath of God if we neglect, if we simply let it go by? But the second admonition or the second exhortation beginning in chapter 3, this one addresses the danger of doubting and disbelieving Christ and his word because of a hard heart. This one begins in chapter 3 and verse number 7 and it actually will take our minds back into the pages of the Old Testament. It is the writer by inspiration reminding these Jewish Christians about some things that they all knew very well. And that is the history of the Jewish people, the history of Israel, and their wandering in the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness, because of their complaining, because of their rebellion, which the Hebrews writer will tell us all had to do with their hard heart. So thus far in the book, We have learned that Jesus is superior to all, and particularly, he is superior to the prophets. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. We also have learned that Jesus is superior to the angels. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 to 14. And then the writer stops and reminds us of the importance not to drift in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. But then he makes a point and then explains it in chapter 2, verse 5, through the end of the chapter, verse 18. He tells us in chapter 1, verse 4 and following that Jesus is greater than the angels. But in chapter 2, verse 5, he tells us that for a very short time, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. So then he goes on to answer the question, how is it that Jesus can both be superior to the angels and yet have been made a little lower than the angels for a temporary amount of time? Then he explains a number of reasons why that's the case. In chapter 3 then, beginning in verse number 1, the argument transitions again. First, Jesus is superior and superior to the prophets. 
Second, Jesus is superior to the angels. Third, Jesus is superior to Moses. And he is superior to Moses, according to Hebrews chapter 3, because he has a greater glory, a greater ministry, and a greater rest. I want you to focus on that word rest just for a moment and note as the Hebrews writer will go on through chapter 3 and chapter 4 that he will talk about this rest. And one of the main lessons from this exhortation, if not the main lesson, is beware lest you miss the rest. He'll mention God's Sabbath rest in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 4. He will mention Israel's rest in the land of Canaan in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 11. And he will tell us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9 that both of these are images of our rest with the Father in heaven for eternity. So do not drift, chapter 2 verse 1 to 4, but chapter 3 verses 7 and following, do not doubt and disbelieve. Otherwise, you will miss the rest. Now we're going to look specifically at verse 7 through 19 tonight, and we're going to divide this into two sections. First, there is a warning in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. And second, there is an exhortation, or excuse me, there is an appeal, not an exhortation, an appeal. Verses 12 through 19. A warning, verse 7 through 11, and an appeal, verse 12 through 19. Let's read together Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. The Bible says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me, And saw my works forty years, therefore I was angry with that generation, and I said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's look closely at this warning, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. The warning basically is this. Israel fell under the leadership of Moses. Christians can fall under the leadership of Christ, the one greater than Moses. This warning is divided into three parts. Note with me first that this is a constant warning, a constant warning. He says, and verse number seven, as he begins, notice this, therefore the Holy Spirit says... It's not, therefore, the Holy Spirit said, as he will go on then to quote Psalm Psalm 95. Rather, it is the Holy Spirit says. That's important because he he states that in such a way as to tell us that this is a message that the Holy Spirit is continuing to tell us. He tells us, first of all, something about how he views Old Testament scripture, the writer and God, that is, and that is that he views it as being that which is given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he also tells us that this Old Testament scripture in Psalm 95, as he's going to quote throughout verse number 11, that the principle of that passage is still applicable So the Holy Spirit says, he is continuing to say, this warning is an ongoing warning, and he says, today, 
if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is emphatic. It's just like the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which we often sing about. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late with all the emphasis on right now. So this is a constant warning. It's a continual warning. The Holy Spirit says and he continues saying, right now, today, not tomorrow, but right now in this moment, pay attention. Pay attention to what? Well, that's the second thing about this warning. It is a constant warning, number one, but number two, it is a warning about the heart. It's a warning about the heart. Now, he quotes, as I mentioned, Psalm 95 in verse 7 through verse number 11, and we're not going to take the time to do it tonight, but if you'll go back and read and study Psalm 95, you will notice that that psalm is divided into two equal parts. The first part of Psalm 95 deals with worship. In fact, it is a call to worship. But the second part, the second half of Psalm 95 deals with the heart. It's exactly what we see before us in Hebrews chapter 3, but in Psalm 95 it is applied to the heart as it pertains to worship. Meaning, God calls people to worship him in spirit and truth, emphasis in the second part on the spirit, meaning the attitude or the disposition. Worship God with the right attitude or with the right heart. Now, the Hebrews writer, by inspiration, will use this material in Hebrews chapter 3 again with reference to the heart. And that's because he wants to point out and bring out the fact that Israel had a heart problem. Notice that he says in verse, uh, in verse number 8 and verse number 9, do not harden your hearts, he says, as in the day of rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me. Stop for a moment and think about this phrase, in the day of trial in the wilderness. What, do you, what day of trial do you suppose he's talking about? Could it be in Exodus chapter 16, Exodus chapter 17, when the children of Israel, they complained and they mourned because they said, we wish that we had stayed and died in Egypt where at least we had pots of food. We, we knew that we would have something to eat. And then God gave them manna from heaven. Or perhaps the water from the rock. We wish that we had stayed in Egypt because at least then we would, have, we would have had water to drink. And then God provided them water. How about Numbers chapter 13 and 14 or Numbers chapter 20 verses 1 to 13? The occasion in which the children of Israel were told, send spies into the land of Canaan. And then the spies came back and said, there are giants in the land. We cannot take it all except for Joshua and Caleb, as you recall. And the people were overwhelmed with that attitude or with that mindset. Which occasion do you suppose it was? I want to suggest to you that it's, it's all of them. It's each and every one of them. When God talks about them rebelling, them hardening their hearts in the day of trial, in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, the language indicates that they failed because they had a heart problem. And this heart problem is in reference to a prolonged obstinance. In fact, look at the word rebellion in verse number 8. 
do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. The word hardened has to do in both Psalm 95 and in Hebrews chapter 3 with being stubborn and obstinate, especially in regards to truth. These folks were stubborn. These folks were obstinate. These folks were hard-hearted. And that's the reason why at each one of these occasions, each one of these uh, scenes which we read about in the books of Exodus and Numbers, that's why we see them reacting in the way that they did. And that's why God describes them not just as complaining, but as hardening their hearts, as rebelling against him, and failing the test. Trial is a test here. It's a testing of faith. And he says that they failed. And the reason they failed is because their hearts went astray, verse number 10, and they they erred. Their hearts were in error, verse number 12. So this is a warning about the heart. The reason why these folks for an entire generation were sentenced to wander about the wilderness for 40 years was because of their heart. The reason why they complained about the food and the water was because of their heart. The reason why they made an idol uh, to worship when Moses was in the mountain was because of their heart. The reason why they didn't believe that they could take the land of Canaan, it was all because of their heart. And God describes it as a rebellious heart. So it is a warning about the heart, but it is also a warning about wrath. Because that's the result of a hard and rebellious heart. Verse 10 and verse number 11, Therefore I was angry with that generation. And I said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my way. So I swore in my wrath, They will not enter my rest. The journey from Egypt to the land of Canaan could have taken approximately 11 days. And yet an entire generation of Israelites was forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, all because of their heart. God said, you tested me and you provoked me to anger. And so therefore, you will see my wrath. And indeed they did. So that is, that is the warning in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. He is calling on his audience, remember Jewish Christians who are contemplating leaving the faith and going backwards. He says, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember the Israelites in the wilderness. It is a constant warning. It's a warning about the heart. It's a warning about wrath. Now that's the what of the lesson. Here's the so what part, the appeal. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 to 19. Let's read it together. He says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Four components to this appeal. 
four components. Number one, beware. Notice he says in Hebrews 3 verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He is telling us more about the kind of hearts that those uh, Israelites had described in verses 7 through 11. They are described in verse 7 through 11 as hard hearts, as rebellious hearts, as hearts that tested and tried God. But in verse number 12, notice this, they are described as evil hearts. And he says basically this, you beware, you watch your heart, unless your heart become like theirs. Now catch this point because it's important. Hebrews 3 and verse number 12 is not talking about hearts that have never come to faith. Hebrews 3 and verse 12 is talking about hearts who leave it. And notice how he describes leaving it. He describes it as being evil and he describes it as a willful action of rebellion. Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It may be that these Jewish Christians may have rationalized in their minds if we leave Christianity, even though we're turning away from Jesus Christ, we're still serving God. But that's not possible if you reject his son, especially considering the fact that beginning in the first verse of the first chapter of this book, the Hebrews writer express the fact that Jesus is not just, he's not second class, but rather he is superior, far superior as the son of the living God. So the first part of this appeal is to beware. It is a call to look inwardly at ourselves and at our own heart. It is a call to examine ourselves daily as 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 says. It is a call to open up the mirror of God's word, James chapter 1 and verse 27, and let the mirror show us for who we really are. We ought to discipline ourselves and buffet our body daily lest we be a castaway. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 27. The only one who knows the state of my heart is me and God. And so each and every one of us ought to take the first part of this appeal very seriously. Beware and be watchful and keep guard on your heart, lest your heart, lest my heart, become like theirs. Number two, exhort. He says, beware, verse number 12, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing, or which leads to departing from the living God, which leads to apostasy, But, contrast, exhort one another daily. While it is called today, remember the warning in verse number 7, the emphasis on today, it's emphatic, the emphasis on right now, in this moment, today, lest any one of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This isn't the only time that the Hebrews writer will talk about the importance of Christians exhorting and encouraging one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 to 25, the Hebrews writer will say, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Notice that, a true heart. 
having our conscience sprinkled from an, uh, excuse me, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the matter of some but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The emphasis in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 3 and in Hebrews chapter 10, is that Christians have the great responsibility of being in the business of exhorting and building and encouraging one another on a regular, yes, on a daily basis. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13, do it today, do it now. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 22 to 25, do it every time the church has opportunity to assemble. Gather together not just to worship God who is worthy of praise, but do it, gather together, don't miss the assembly because that is an opportunity for you and I to be exhorted and to be uplifted so that our heart does not come like theirs. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Note the connection. In Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, he said, You be careful lest you have an evil heart of unbelief that leads to apostasy. But in contrast to that, exhort one another, verse 13, so your heart doesn't go down that road. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 to 25, he said, Let us draw near to God with what kind of heart? With a true heart. The language is synonymous. The principle is being repeated with a slightly different application. But the way that we guard our hearts, the way that we make sure that we are not developing an evil heart of unbelief is by this mutual encouragement and exhortation, this building up of one another. And we have every reason and every, uh, every reason and every opportunity in which to do it. Number three, hold fast. He says, um, beware, verse 12, exhort, verse 13, Hold fast, verse 14. For, if, for we have become partakers of Christ if, notice the condition, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it said today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. The writer uses the word hold and the word hold means to adhere firmly to your conviction. And he also uses the word confidence, which is an interesting word. It's the idea of, of being the ground or the basis of our hope. But in the Greek New Testament, the, the concept of the word is um, kind of synonymous to, say, a landowner who is confident in the ownership of his land because he holds the deed or the title to that land or that property in his hand. So the application of it then is something like this. We hold, we adhere firmly to our conviction, our conviction of what? Of our confidence, which is this hope that we have, this realistic expectation that we have, and we're confident in it, we, we hold it in our hands. Just like a property owner is confident in the ownership of his property because he holds a deed in his hands, so we're confident in our hope because we hold that in our hands. The Hebrews writer says you hold firmly and securely onto that. 
Not the first or only time he'll say it, by the way. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 11, he'll say, let's be diligent to enter into that rest. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 11, he'll say, give diligence to uh, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 23, what we read a moment ago, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Hebrews 10 and verse 35, do not cast away your confidence. Hebrews 10 and verse 38 and verse 39, the just will live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving or unto the saving of the soul. What do you suppose one of the primary emphases happens to be in the book of Hebrews? Don't give up. Never give up. Don't let go. But hold on tightly to your conviction, to your hope, to your faith, and do not let it waver. This appeal, first, beware. Look carefully and objectively at your own heart, lest your heart become like theirs, like the Israelites. Second, exhort Put yourself in a position to be built up by your brethren and you participate in building up your brethren. Number three, hold fast. Hold securely and firmly to your conviction. Let nothing rock the foundation of your faith. And finally, number four, remember. We go full circle now. We begin with Psalm 95 in Hebrews 3 verses 7 to 11. We end with Psalm 95 in Hebrews 3 verse 15 and a summary of it in verse 16 through 19. He just simply asked the question, Who was it that after having heard rebelled? Well, it was those who came out of Egypt led by Moses. Who was it with whom God was angry? Same people, those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness. To whom did he swear they wouldn't enter his rest? In other words... Who realized the full measure of his wrath? The same people, the ones who did not obey. And what is all of that summarized? How is all of that summarized? Look at verse 19. It is summarized by the word unbelief. Remember that the entire point of this exhortation is the danger of doubting and disbelieving Christ that comes as a result of a hardened heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 20, the Lord had this to say about Israel. He said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation. Listen to this. Children in whom is no faith... That's what God saw when he looked at the generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God was able to help them, but they simply wouldn't allow it. The warning of Hebrews chapter 3 to these Christians was, do not find yourself in the same boat. And that warning and that appeal would apply to us as well. 
They had a heart problem. We talk about heart problems a lot. You go to the doctor's office, chances are you're going to see somewhere a poster or a, a pamphlet or something in that office that has to do with your heart health. And the reason is because heart disease is a major problem in our country. Heart problems and heart disease proves to be fatal physically. It proves to be fatal spiritually as well. That's what happened to Israel, and that's what was in the process of happening to the, the original audience of the book of Hebrews. So the writer says, avoid it by guarding your heart, verse 12, by exhorting one another, verse 13, by holding fast, verse 14, and by recognizing the importance of today, of right now, verse 7, verse 13, and then again in verse 15. Lessons from the wilderness. We look back into the past and we can learn a great deal from those who have gone on before. And there is a great deal that can be learned from the generation of Israelites that perished in the wilderness because of their wickedness, because of their complaining, their unbelief, and their rebellion. And it was all because of their heart. So give yourself a heart exam tonight in light of what we've studied and make sure that you are not heading down the same track as those folks did so many years ago. Lord's invitation now is going to be offered. Maybe there's someone here tonight that has a need to respond to become a child of God. We encourage, invite you to do that. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you willing to confess your faith and uh, repent of your sins and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? If so then we stand ready and willing to help you. Tonight, if you're a Christian and you're thinking about your heart and you've said, you know, my heart is not what it should be. My heart is way more like the Israelites in the wilderness than as a, a child of God's heart should be. Make that right. Change it. Let us pray for you and help you however we can. Come forward. Let your need be known while we stand and sing.